Fred Goldstein, the co-host of Health Innovation Media, and I'm here in the Conversa booth. We're broadcasting live from HIM 17. Well, thank you so much. Hey, Henry, pleasure to meet you. Good to see you. Thanks for having me today. Oh, you're welcome. Well, thanks for coming over. And you are the Chief Medical Officer for Teladoc, I am. correct? Yes, sir. So give us a little bit of your background and how you kind of went in as a doctor into that space. Sure. And then uh, let's talk a little bit about Teladoc. What sure, you thanks. Uh, my background's three phases. Uh, private practice of family medicine for a decade, uh, moved into the health insurance space, learned a lot about the financial side of the healthcare industry the, for eight the, what years. What used to be some guys called the dark side. Yeah, I the worked there side. too, so I have to admit, well, honestly, I didn't think it was so dark, but it was interesting, learned a lot, as you did. My goal was to make it a better place, and I think that worked okay. Um, and then for the last 13 years, have been a serial entrepreneur in healthcare information technology, which has been just fantastic. Being able to you know, use technology to make certain processes within healthcare more efficient, more user-friendly, um, and, and cost savings-wise, has just been great. So it's, I enjoy it. Well, then this will be really interesting, because this morning we were talking about, and we've been talking about this for a number of years in the show and others, is all of the stuff here, and I always say, every one of these is just adding another layer. It's the onion. Well, that IT didn't quite fix it, so we'll build another one. On, we'll put it on top of the other, and we'll connect it, and we'll build another one. We'll do more off of that. And so and each one adds cost. But you're actually talking about reducing some costs, reducing some complexity, and make it more efficient. So it'll be great to get into some of that as well. Yeah, so, uh, you know, our company, Teladoc, has been around for uh, about coming up on 15 years. Uh, so not as new, uh, although the adoption of telemedicine and the adoption within our company has been really the last four or five years has been extraordinary. But you're right, we actually... I had a conversation on this very subject. A lot of new technology in healthcare tends to increase cost. Um, you know, we, we create, th this company was started based on an HR perk, right? Giving employees access to a doc without having to leave work or home uh -huh. if they had to. Um, it wasn't until much later that we started to see, you know, the improvements in access, um, the, the reduction in cost, the cost savings to those who are responsible for the cost of care. It, I'm the chief medical officer of the company and it still blows my mind how much money is saved by giving folks an alternative. Uh, I think we've proven pretty well that you can offer very high quality care uh, remotely and, um, and you know, we're also uh, disrupting the traditional healthcare delivery system by making it a little more consumer friendly and I'm okay with that. So, Teladoc, I mean everyone understands it's a uh Doctor access via mobile or internet or something like that, right? Yes. And so, what sort of range of services do you provide in terms of doctor services? Right, that, great I mean, question. You're not doing surgeries. Not doing surgeries <laughs> yet. No, just kidding. Not yet. Um, Robotics coming, um, right? I'm just saying. All those video games may pay off. Um, right. So, as chief medical officer of the company, my responsibility is quality of care. And probably the single most important aspect about the quality of care in a telemedicine offering is to define the subset of medical problems that can safely and accurately be diagnosed and treated with the physician and the patient not being in the same place at the same time. That's the key. So you set up those fences that we're gonna do these services through this, but if they're asking for that, we're not gonna touch that. That is correct. We call them guardrails, so we have a number of guardrails. We built the business on the treatment of common uncomplicated medical problems, so sinusitis, bronchitis, urinary tract infections, things that, day-to-day -day issues that, that folks have. Uh, we have since, you know, expanded. Our board tasked us a couple years ago and said, you know, what else can we do to create value with our, our client base? And so we rolled out a longitudinal comprehensive behavioral health program. So you can have an initial diagnostic psychiatric interview, therapy sessions, medications, although not DEA-controlled substances, uh, through that program and get a complete course of care remotely. Uh, dermatology is a slam dunk for telemedicine. Smartphones today have incredibly high-definition cameras. Uh, that's an asynchronous 
program with a two business day turnaround on diagnosis and treatment. Um, we have a sexual health anonymous uh, uh, testing and treatment program. We have a tobacco cessation program. So as you listen to the list, we, we have chosen those things that lend themselves really well to technology. So let's talk about one of the areas of interest to me. I spent about six years running psych hospitals and then also did uh, the first disease management program for Medicaid for persons with schizophrenia for the state of Colorado. Wow. We, did high, we did depression and bipolar disorder as part of our DM programs. So behavioral health, you mentioned initial assessment, ongoing treatment, and so, who are the different professionals? Do you have different levels of professionals in there? Yes. And what, how are you uh, doing that? Yep. So, in order to build, and, and we really learned our lesson when we went to put the network together. You know, we have a 50-state program. Uh, providers were physically present and licensed in all 50 states. And we wanted it to be a multi-layer program for behavioral health, right? So, initial your initial intake is with a psychiatrist. Ongoing sessions could be a psychologist, PhD psychologist, non-PhD psychologist, social worker, other types of therapists, marriage family therapists. So, we do have a range of providers uh, in each of the states to, to, to uh, provide services. Um, but typically the course of care is an initial diagnostic intake interview with a psychiatrist, and then as part of your treatment plan, there may be a series of visits. You can schedule all of those. You can select the therapist you want to work with if they have a special interest in and the area that And is that, that all need. done? All via virtually. Video? Well, we, we offer consumers a choice, right? So we have a world-class audio-video platform. Um, we have uh, high-definition photographs for things like dermatology and skin lesions. Uh, conjunctivitis, uh, and then we have phone-based care, and sometimes therapy using the phone is, is A, I what consumers choose, and B, if they have a behavioral health issue, behavioral health issue where they may want to avoid confrontation, avoid eye contact, maybe not sure. want to go for an in-person visit, people sometimes are more forthcoming. Well, that's what I was about to get to. So we all know the big stigma, you know, associated with, with mental health. And you don't mention it, we don't talk about it, holy moly, we're gonna bury that problem when we really need to, hey, it's all okay, come on out. So, you know, and it gets to the point where people are even afraid to park their car at the lot because then they know, oh my gosh, they must be going there and somebody must be thinking what's wrong with them, right? So do you see that? Is it because you're now delivering it virtually, are people much more likely to say, hey, I'm going to do this, I'm going to stick with it? We do. Uh, not only do we see um, people who are using the service, I think more than they would if it was in person only, but we're also seeing some problems uh, uh, that, that people are more hesitant to go for in-person care. You know, the telemedicine for behavioral health, as you know, has been in the prison populations across the the U.S. not years but for decades and that was out of necessity right because right. it's just difficult to get psychiatrists to go there at the time of need um, and so there actually is some data that demonstrates that um, patients uh, with behavioral health illnesses may be a little more forthcoming with certain diagnoses if they're seen remotely rather than if they're sitting across excellent. from their therapist excellent and talk a little bit about um, obviously at the end of the day you're what you're, you're you're about costs, but you're also about improving outcomes and quality. So how do you monitor that and how do you measure that and report on that back? Yeah, so I inherited a <laughs> world-class uh, quality program and have, I think, taken it to the next level. So our quality oversight is the most rigorous program I've ever been exposed to in my 30 plus years in healthcare. Um, so we have uh, five different quality management committees, each staffed with community practicing telemedicine physicians who are independent, um, who give us sort of 
of an outside-in view. Uh, we have one for our general medical program, one specific to pediatric care, one for the dermatology program, one for the sexual health program, uh, one for the behavioral health program, that's five. And then we also have, uh, and they implement the quality program, we also have work groups under each of those committees which are who are continually designing new components to the program. Okay, what are we not looking at that we need to look at? What other outcomes do we need to look at? We have a subcommittee of the board that is specifically over all of the quality program, so we are visible and being watched carefully all the way to the board level, and we have some really good quality folks on the board. Senator Bill mm -hmm. Frist uh, is the chair of that subcommittee. Uh, Helen Darling from the National Quality sure. Forum is a member of that committee, and others. So, so the oversight is is very clear to the very top of the company. Um, and then we have uh, had to develop, out of necessity, clinical practice guidelines for telemedicine uh, conditions because there are no off-the-shelf guidelines that are the caliber that we need them to be that take the remote nature of the encounter into account. So we develop the gu guidelines for diagnosis and treatment, but we also incorporate the issues that are raised when the patient and the doctor are not in the same place. So do you provide like a workflow for the doctor? Is that, and is that how you ensure inner doctor reliability across the system? It's, we're in a little bit of a transition. So the guidelines form the basis for the training program, mm -hmm. and they also form the outline for the uh, quality oversight program. Uh -huh. So those are the, those, that's the standard that all of our providers are held to. We don't force the use of the sure. guidelines, um, but they're available online using the technology. They can be displayed right in line with the visit. And on, from a quality standpoint, we look for a practice that remains within the standard of care, the range of standard of care defined by the guidelines. If somebody goes outside of that, then you know we're on it. Because all of the documentation, both on the patient side with the creation of the electronic health record that's required before each visit, as well as the documentation that the provider enters into the system, we have a database that that all drops into, we have a reporting layer, we can actually get almost real-time quality oversight. If somebody you know, attempts to prescribe, let's say, a DEA-controlled substance, we know about that that day, or wow. at the worst, the next day, much, much faster than, than most of the industry. So let me ask you a question. You mentioned these physicians are independent? Yes. So if a physician's in a practice, and let's say they want to get involved in some of this, can they get go to you and say, hey, I'd like to be a doctor with Teladoc and do this? Yes, if they meet our credentialing criteria. Obviously, so our yeah. entire 50-state network of well over 3,000 providers are all private practitioners. They have a bricks-and-mortar practice. They're under contract, fee-for-service, to work for us on a part-time basis. We have no employed physicians and can who they, do visits. can they provide your service to their current patients? We It's funny that you picked HIMS to ask that question. Um, we actually have a licensable version of our platform that okay. has all the capability, but we actually sell it now. We have about 120 hospitals and hospital systems across the U.S. using it, and what they do is they have their doctors and their patients that go through their systems using all the capability. We'll back them up with support services if they need it, but it's a, it's a turnkey product for any large provider organization to use. Oh, yes. fantastic. We may have to talk about that a little bit later. So um, the other question I had, so the, the flip side of that, your product is being purchased by employers, insurers? Yes to both. Uh, so our core platform, which is our turnkey solution, right? It's so completely self-contained. Uh, we started selling to employers. We now have, I want to say, over 6,000. Um, we sell to health plans. We have, I think, over 30, uh, many large health plans at this point. Aetna is probably our flagship, many blue plans and others, some Medicaid plans. And then we recently started selling to provider systems and integrated delivery systems, hospital systems as well, both the core platform for their employees as well as the licensable platform for their patients and their docs to use. Well, fantastic. Well, that's great. Well, it's really been a pleasure to have you here. Thank, Thank you so much for joining us, and I'll be over there to check out the booth later thanks, at some point. Thanks for having me on. It's been a You're pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.